we've looked at uh, uh, fidelity, we've looked at uh, different aspects of uh, life and how, uh, how Proverbs speaks into that. Um, and tonight we're looking at speech. We're looking at speech. And uh, seeing what Proverbs as a whole says about that. We're not, we're not taking, uh, as you know, Proverbs verse by verse. Uh, but we're looking at it thematically and we're taking themes, uh, subject matter, out of Proverbs and uh, dealing with it that way. But tonight we're looking at the idea of words. So let's read our text. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Well, we've often heard that uh, saying, sticks and stones uh, may break my bones, but uh, names will never hurt me. And uh, that is... uh, uh, that is true in a physical sense, but the, the, I don't think that is something that the writer of Proverbs would, uh, would actually write down because he's talking about the power of words, the destructive power of words. Proverbs speaks a great deal of the fact that in our words there can be life or death. You can change someone's life by your words. You can save them from taking their life. You can change the direction of their lives by a a word that you may not even remember five minutes later. And so, uh, uh, words according to the writer of Proverbs can be either uh, uh, life-giving or uh, life-taking. And so what we want to look at tonight is the power of words. Tim Keller said that you're not wise unless you fully grasp the power of words. Now we have to ask ourselves that tonight. Am I wise as is reflected in my use of words, in the, the, the number of words and the quality of words that I use? Uh, am I uh, intentional about the things that I say? Uh, do I speak too much? Do I speak too little? What are the quality of my words? And so, uh, the writer of Proverbs, and there were different writers of Proverbs, but uh, Solomon here, as it tells us at the beginning of chapter 10, Solomon is the writer. He wants to impart to us a, a, a fresh realization that what we say is powerful. What we say can change the direction of someone's life and change the direction of our own life. And so, to be wise, which is really what the uh, book of Proverbs is about, how to be wise, how to learn the fear of the Lord, uh, we must think about what we say and how we say it. How often we speak and what are the quality of our words. And so, we may not have thought about that too much. I mean, yeah, we've heard sermons on the, on the tongue, sermons on words and speech and things like that. And, and uh, you can't avoid that in the Bible. It's all over the place. But we really, as we think about it in a focused way tonight, 
let's be really thinking and say, okay, if this is what if this is what the Bible is saying, if if these things are true, then how do I use my words? And so words are critical in terms of the wise person, as shown by the number of proverbs that speak on that. And we're going to uh, uh, maybe touch on a few tonight, but there are many, many in the book of Proverbs. And if Proverbs is about how we uh, make our way through this life in all the decisions that we make and uh, what leads to a successful life, then words are fundamental to that. Advice comes through words. We're always talking to one another. Young people are talking to older people. What should I do here? Where should I go? Can you give me some advice? We're getting advice from our mechanic. We're getting advice from our financial advisor. We're getting advice from people that we pick up the phone, fixing our computer. Whatever it is, we're getting words. But uh, uh, the Bible says that for the believer, we have an even greater calling in the way in which we use our words. Proverbs also uses very striking language when it comes to words. uh, This morning we were talking about the the book of Revelation and some of the images that we're going to see. The beast rising out of the sea and the dragon and all of these images that the Bible uses to convey, to drive home a message of the seriousness of what we're involved in. And, And Proverbs does the same. It pulls no punches when it comes to talking about the destructive nature of words. And so words reflect, really, at the end of the day, who we are. If we're wise or not. If we're a fool or not. Words reflect that. And we see that throughout the, the book of Proverbs. That in the, the fool is always going on. Always talking. There's a multiplication of words. James, for example, speaks about the challenge of words through metaphors like a bridle on a horse or a rudder on a ship which can turn the ship. Something so small can turn the ship. A great big uh, ocean liner can turn that great big ocean liner in a certain direction. Uh, A small bit in a horse's mouth can turn that horse in a certain direction. And so James himself, as the really the, the New Testament uh, Solomon, the New Testament proverb writer, of course, uh, don't get me wrong, Jesus is the greater Solomon, but I'm simply saying that James reflects a great deal of the book of Proverbs in terms of wise living. And so it's natural for James to dedicate a large part of his epistle to the tongue and to what is said. And so he points out that though the tongue is small, it has a true a very large, disproportionate influence on life compared to the other parts of the body. And so he concludes in James 3, if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man also able to bridle the whole body. In other words, if you can control the tongue, then you are disciplined in other uses of your body as well. So, uh, I simply say these things to give us a, a, a bird's eye view of how important our speech is. So I want you to be thinking about 
okay, here I am at this stage in my life. How have I used my speech in the past? How am I then, in light of God's Word, going to prayerfully think about how I'm going to speak? And so that's, that's really what our challenge is, to be able to prayerfully leave and think about what we've read in God's Word and say, Lord, help me to be more uh, wise in the use of my words. And Lord, what, to say to the Lord, what does my, how I speak to other people reflect, what, how does that reflect what's in my heart? And you have those conversations with God and uh, you, you begin to get answers after a while. So the first thing he says in verse 19 is about wisdom regarding the number of words that we say, the quantity of our words. We'll see in a moment the quality of our words, but here at first he talks about the quantity of our words. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. Or I think in the, in the King James it says, in a multitude of words, uh, sin uh, iniquities are, are, are multiply or something along those lines. I think I, I totally massacred that, but it's, 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 uh, it's worded differently in that way. But it, it shows us here exactly what he's getting at. That in many words, in, in other words, if you're somebody that talks a lot, your tongue is going to get you into trouble. That's, what, that's the idea in this verse. In a multitude of words, there's always going to be sin. And so preachers have to watch because they're always talking. Uh, I'm up here twice on a Sunday and I have to be very careful in terms of the things that I say. That I don't lead people astray in wrong doctrine because I'm, I'm doing a lot of talking. I'm up here for 15 minutes every sermon uh, talking, uh, it might be 20. Uh, and and if you're if you're not well prepared, if you're not have not thought through things, uh, your words uh, can lead people astray. If you're uh, teaching something that's wrong, or overemphasizing something, so he talks about the quantity of words here. In Ecclesiastes five, it says, "A fool's voice is known by his many words." Again, it reflects the person when they're constantly talking, constantly holding sway in the conversation. It says a great deal about them. We've all been there in situations where you meet someone for the first time and it's a very one-sided conversation. I'm from here, this is what my family does, and so on. And you never hear, well, what about you? Where do you come from? And what, you know, uh, how many are in your family? And so on and so forth. When a conversation is completely one-sided like that, it tells you a lot about the person that you've just met. And so, it reflects the heart. And so James says that we are to be slow to speak and quick to hear. That tells us a lot about the other person. When they're willing to ask questions, when they're interested in you, Um, in Proverbs 17, it says, He who has knowledge spares his words. Listen to that. He who has knowledge spares his words. In other words, he's got words in there, but he says, if I'm wise, I will be careful about the number of words I put out there. 
I'll be, I'll be careful about that. A man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. So even a fool uh, can, for a time, uh, project an image of wisdom when he holds his tongue. When his words are not multiplying, because the more you speak, the more inclined you are to get yourself in trouble. So wisdom is speaking when we have something to say. And practicing not saying anything if we don't have anything to say. Psalm 39 says, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. See there, he's, he's reducing the number of his words because of those who are around. If the wicked are around, uh, the more he talks, the more they have something to hold perhaps against him. That's what the way it was with the Lord Jesus when he was on trial. Remember, it said he answered not a word. Uh, when they, they were amazed at his silence, and his words were very spare, uh, sparing. And uh, in that moment, Jesus was exercising wisdom because he was able to read the room. He knew that they weren't interested in truth. He knew that they wanted to trap him in something that he said. And so Jesus did not give them that satisfaction. So uh, he, he says here uh, that. Uh, that the uh, words of Jesus on that occasion were very few. James again echoes this point. He says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Proverbs says that the more you say, the more can be used against you. Again, the more we say, the less you get to listen to others. And so the less informed we are about other people. The more we speak, the less people will listen in terms of the fact that as you multiply those words, that as, as Proverbs says here, the more you speak, the natural way is people tune out. Even preachers have this uh, uh, um, difficulty. It was said by one, he said, it was said of a long-winded preacher that he preached the congregation, as this person says, into a good spiritual frame. And then he preached them out of it again. <laughs> he preached them into a good spiritual frame, and then he undid what he originally accomplished by going over. And so, that's a word of caution to me tonight. The true, the, the, this is also uh, true of in the house of God. When we come to church, Ecclesiastes 5, in a very powerful passage, it says, guard your steps when you go into the house of God. In other words, we are to be careful when we come into church that we realize that we're coming to worship God. We're not coming to catch up on the news. We're not coming to simply socialize. We're coming to draw near to God. It goes on to say, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. That's quite something, isn't it? 
for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash, it says then, with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. The preacher can undo what he has done by going on too long and people begin to tune out. And rather than being blessed, they become angry and frustrated and weary. But uh, we as well can undo a sermon by afterward by talking about this, that, and the other. And that, it's, it's, a, it's a great temptation. I speak to myself uh, above all people in that. But the Bible says that when it comes to worship, when it comes to the house of God, we have to realize where are we? What are we doing? What are we here for? And when we realize that, we say, I have to let my words then be few. I can't undo what God has just done in the heart and mind of this person or that person. I have to be very uh, uh, restrained in what I say. Unless it is something perhaps to do with what we have just done or to encourage a person. Uh, and it is, in, it is that that he speaks of in the next uh, portion. So he talks about the, qual- the quantity of words. Then he speaks of the quality of our words. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. So he speaks of the value of our words. That righteous speech, wise speech, is like silver. It's valuable. It's treasured. Think of that in terms of what the world, how the world counsels us when it comes to seeking treasure. And the the riches that you and I can hold in our hearts and the privilege that we have of speaking, not just speaking words, but speaking God's Word. Notice he says that the tongue of the righteous, the tongue of those whose lives are controlled by God, the tongue of those whose heart is directed by God's Spirit, the heart of those and the tongue of those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, who know the Gospel. Of whom it is said, how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of Him who what? Brings good news. It says that of no one else in the Bible. The one who brings good news. That's not just preachers. Not just elders. It's all of God's servants. All of God's people. It's mothers and fathers. It's grandparents. It's friends. It's neighbors. It's people who have the treasure of the Gospel inside of them. Remember James and John when they went up to the temple? And uh, they said to, the, to the, uh, a blind man there, they said, silver and gold, we have none. Right, they, he was out there begging for, for money as, as people often do. You see people in Charlottetown. You see people in big cities. And if they can only get some money, they feel that their lot would be improved. But, but uh, uh, James and John come along and they say, look, we've got something better than gold and silver. And it's almost like a boast that they have no gold and silver. 
Silver and gold have we none, but what we have we give unto you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And we ought not to be ashamed that we don't uh, have the, the, the world's riches or that we're not well advanced in our monetary uh, uh, condition. That Christians have an even greater treasure to give. Silver and gold have we none, but what we have we give to you. In Proverbs uh, 25, uh, he says this, Proverbs 25 and verse 11, a word fitly spoken, there's the quality of the word and the timing of the word, is like apples of gold in settings of silver. And so there is the uh, again the, the quality of our words. Apples of gold and settings of silver. Isn't it something that we live in a, at a different in a different space, don't we? We live in, often in a different world. We this is where Christians are in danger of imbibing the world's values. The world's what the world says is important and something worth pursuing. The Bible turns around and says things like this, that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pitchers of silver. And then we begin to say, wow, I, I have that. I've got that inside of me if I'm a believer. And I, I can impart that to others. And, I, and the words that I have can stand them in good stead for eternal life. A good man, Jesus says, out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. And if you love the Gospel, if you love Jesus, you will want to speak to others about Him. Jesus said the same in Psalm 40 which was fulfilled in His life. He says, I've not hidden your righteousness within My heart. I've declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. Jesus came and He spoke. And it was said, no man ever spoke like this man. How much life did Jesus impart just by what He taught? What He spoke? But now, because He went to the cross, shed His blood, died and rose again, we have that message then to communicate to people. And we can say, gold and silver have I none. A university education I do not have. I'm not eloquent in my speaking. I'm not wise in the ways of the world. But what I have, I give to you. That Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried and rose again according to the Scriptures. That's what we have to give. The disciples were fishermen. They weren't educated. They didn't have university educations. They weren't powerful in worldly ways. That's, that was the, the offense. These men, these men are fishermen. These men are from Nazareth. 
they're from the back, and they, they purport to stand in a big city like Jerusalem and, 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 and speak to thousands of people. What gives them the right? It's because silver and gold had they none, but they had the words of life. The angel would come in and break Peter out of prison and the other disciples and say, go out and speak the words of life. That's the, that's the language that he used. Go and speak the words of life. The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. We have a Gospel. Psalmist says in Psalm 66, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what the Lord has done for my soul. And so we're called in, in Colossians to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly in all wisdom. Hear that? In all what? In all wisdom. Knowing when to speak, how to speak, to whom to speak. But let the Word of Christ, let the Gospel, let the good news that Jesus died for sinners and that by faith in Him you can have eternal life. Is that not greater than gold? Greater than silver? Greater than anything that the world could offer? Didn't Zacchaeus see that? When he realized what Jesus, who Jesus was and he would go into his cupboards and open up the cupboards and say, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've stolen anything, I give... I restore fourfold. He found something greater than his gold and silver. He found the words of Jesus, the words of life, the good news of the Gospel. And every day, we have the privilege of sharing that with those around us. And so, he says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. And of course, that speech ought to be is exercised wisely. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you in all wisdom. You have to be know when to use it. In terms of the manner in which we speak, it should be spoken with grace. Be prepared to give a reason for the hope that lies within you, but do so with, with grace as well. That's why it says in Proverbs 25, in the verse that we just read, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold. Not just any word, at a, uh, uh, but fitly spoken at the right knowing at the right if a person's suffering if a person's sick if the person's just suffered a loss in their family to have the wisdom to come in and say oh well we know all things work together for good you know that may not be the best word to use at that moment oh well your loved ones with the lord now that may be true but the person Maybe be feeling a painful loss of that person gone in their life. This is what I'm saying, that words wisely chosen and wisely spoken are like apples of gold in settings of silver. Now those verses will be very applicable maybe a week, two weeks later. To say, 
all things work together for good. Or the, isn't it wonderful that those who die in the Lord, uh, they will live again. They will, they will go to be with Him. But sometimes we think all we need is any old Bible verse to throw out there if it's half-wise applicable. But we don't realize that that, that may not be what the person is needing at that moment. So he says here, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. And the righteous know when to speak. They know when to speak, know when not to speak. They may know... I remember a story of... Uh, um, R.C. Sproul was telling a story about... Uh, visiting the wife of the coach of the Miami Dolphins when she had cancer and he came in and he sat by her bed and uh, he felt like a fool. He couldn't say anything. He couldn't say anything. He, he said a few things but then he went away and felt terrible. And he's a man who made his living out of teaching and speaking and communicating the Word of God. Not long after he got a, a letter from that same woman and expressing to her just how deeply she appreciated him simply being there and sitting with her and not saying anything. Just simply comforting her. And sometimes we feel that we always have to be talking and we always have to be saying something. And sometimes silence, going back to our uh, first point, the quantity of our words. Sometimes silence is golden, as the old uh, song says. And so, we discover that. We discover the quality of our words by thinking about what God thinks of the opposite. What God thinks about lies. What God thinks about things that are not true. How lying, as Proverbs says, is an abomination to God. Proverbs 11.20, those who are of perverse lips are an abomination to the Lord. The, the idea of abomination has the idea of nauseating. It's a moral stench. We think of the destructiveness towards society. Leviticus 19.11, You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. Ephesians 4, Putting away lying, every man speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. In fact, that was one of the great cr crimes in the early church when Ananias and Sapphira came before the disciples and said, we sold our land for such and such and we're giving it all to the Lord. And the Disciples, in particular Peter, says, why is it that you've chosen to lie to the Holy Spirit? You can sell your land if you like, but don't lie about how much you gave. You kept some back for yourself. And lying, that they weren't going to tolerate that. The church was new. The church was in its infancy, blossoming. And to allow that kind of lie to take hold was not something that the Lord would countenance. And both Ananias and Sapphira lost their lives. But it speaks to us very clearly about what God, how God highly holds the speaking of truth to one another. 
And then lastly, there is the fruitfulness of words. Verse 21, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. So we have to be careful of the multitude of words that we speak, how many words we speak. We have to think about the quality of our words, but we also think about the impact of our words, the the fruitfulness of our words. And so he says, the lips of the righteous feed many. The righteous produce what is good, not only for himself, but for others. Just as Jesus blessed the bread and the, the loaves and the fishes and was able to distribute that to the thousands that were there, He has also given us, as fishers of men, uh, the ability with our words to feed the souls of those around us. To be able to communicate God's truth. To feed a dying soul. To, to, to feed a soul that is starving, empty, or a soul that is discouraged to be a blessing to that person. Someone who has lost hope. Someone who is ready to maybe take their life. You remember when the Apostle Paul, was he and Silas were in prison and, and uh, the Philippian jailer was just about to take his life. Paul shouted out, Do not do yourself any harm, for we are all here. And then Paul, he came... The, 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 the jailer come running in and fell at Paul's feet and said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas shared with him the Gospel. He went to the Philippian jailer's house and shared with them the Gospel and the whole household was baptized. And so we have that ability as well. And some things that we may not even think about Five minutes later, somebody might say to us, you know, last year you said something to me that really stuck with me. Did anyone ever say that to you? Maybe you said that to somebody else. What you said there, just as I was getting out of the car or just as we were walking along, you said something that really stuck with me. We We say that all the time, don't we? That really stuck with me. But you may say, you know what, I can't even remember that. I can't remember that for the life of me even saying that. Well, if it was a help. But what does that cause us to think then? It causes us to think that if my throwaway words can have such an impact upon someone, how prayerful should I think about what I say? How prayerful should I be about thinking about my conversations with people and think about... Uh, uh, if, if you've got a conversation coming up, you're meeting someone for coffee, you're talking to someone on the phone, you're, you're uh, meeting with somebody who may be going through a time of trouble or discouraged, you, say, you prayerfully think about, Lord, help me to use my words wisely and economically. That my words may be an encouragement to the person. That may have a long-lasting effect upon them. May it bring feeding healing. Peter is told that by Jesus. Jesus says to him, Simon, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And feed my sheep. But the greatest way in which Peter could show love to Jesus was by communicating truth 
to the flock. Feed my sheep. Tell them about me. And that is true for every Christian. The highest act of love that we can show to someone is telling them the truth about Jesus. Gold and silver have I none. Son or daughter or grandchild or neighbor or whoever it is. I don't have gold. I don't have silver. I don't even know a good investment to put your money into. What I have, I give unto you. I was privileged yesterday after our time of prayer in the morning to be I was taking the dog out and I was walking the dog and, and uh, up by the, the villa uh, where I typically go and, and the man was coming along on his four-wheeler and he stopped just out of the blue just stopped he might have been interested in the dog petting the dog or whatever uh, but we got talking about things his bike his we- the weather all sorts of things uh, the amount of money that goes into cancer research and things like that, and it triggered a thought within me. I, s- I said to him, you know, if people put so much time and effort into getting well in this life and put no thought into the welfare of their eternal soul. And it began a conversation for about a half an hour on the Gospel. And to be able to share the Gospel with this person was a wonderful thing. And I was trying to impress upon the man the providence of God in the whole thing. I said, you know, it's of God that you stopped your bike and that I came over. We had this conversation. I was trying to impress upon him the, the, the serious nature of what we had just transacted. But we need to be looking for those opportunities. and We need to be realizing that what we say, whether it's witnessing to someone or... Uh, encouraging someone or however we speak that our words are used wisely. Considering the great privilege that we have. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of of Him who brings good news. Wouldn't that be wonderful for someone to look back on you in your life and say, how beautiful that person was. Why? Because they told me about Jesus. He told me about Jesus. And we have that privilege as believers. So we need to think about the multitude of our words, the quality of our words, and the fruitfulness of our words. We need to think about how much Proverbs speaks. And we've only touched on a few of the verses of what Proverbs says about how we speak. The New Testament goes on to talk about it as well. Paul and James and Jesus and many other people talk about how we use our words. And when you think about it, and when you think just very superficially about what we've looked at tonight, you begin to say, yes, my words matter. And I need to ask God to help me to sanctify this little part of me in here uh, to His glory and to the blessing of others. Let's pray.